Around the world, it seems that populism is on the rise. Build that wall. Build that wall. With national leaders and major politicians from the Americas to Europe and Asia riding the wave of populist causes to electoral victory. We can do it. Let's get Brexit done and take this incredible country forwards. Japan is no exception. With recent political movements led by arguably populist politicians like Miyake Yohei and Yamamoto Taro. But what exactly is populism? And why is it important to study populist politics? What does it mean to talk about left populism or right populism? Finally, does populism exist in Japan? And is there a link between populism and conservative politics? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on populist politics in Japan, I talked with Dr. Axel Klein, Chair for Japanese Politics at the University of Duisburg-Essen. Dr. Klein is the author most recently of Is There Left Populism in Japan? The Case of Reiwa Shinsengumi, published in the Asia-Pacific journal Japan Focus in May 2020. I started by asking Dr. Klein to define for us exactly what is populism and why is it important to study populist politics? Populism is one of those political terms that mean different things to different people. And as many concepts in social science, it is contested. In public discourse, the commonality you probably find most often is that populism is used as a denunciation. You charge a political opponent with undemocratic, irresponsible behavior. Irresponsible in the sense that populists are willing to sacrifice ideals of liberal democracy, of their state or their government in order to win over the people on the street and push policies that more often than not violate liberal values. So in political science, there are a few approaches to populism, but two seem dominant to me to talk about the pulsi aspect of this. There is one approach called the political strategic approach. And that one argues that in order to be classified as, as populism, there needs to be a personalistic leader who seeks or exercises government power based on direct and uninstitutionalized support from voters. And those voters are mostly unorganized. So you can see that this approach doesn't include any reference to political ideas at all. And the reason behind it is that this approach was created from scholars who did research on Latin America. So what they found fits this first definition of populism. It's just a way of making the definition capture all the empirical variety that, that they found. And the second dominant concept of populism is called the ideational approach. And this one defines populism as an ideology, so it's about ideas, that states a radical antagonism between the morally righteous people and the morally corrupt elite. That's the important thing in the ideational approach. And here populists claim that politics should always follow the general will of the people, assuming, of course, that there is such a will, although there mostly isn't. So when, when Donald Trump talks about the real people, the people who want to make America great again, he's using populist lingua, clearly. And here's why I think populism is relevant and looking at it is relevant. Mobilizing citizens politically is at its core something absolutely in harmony with democracy, right? And politicians reacting to the will of the people are also in essence following a democratic ideal. 
So in, in terms of mobilization and responsiveness, populism does not have to be a bad thing. But mobilization and responsiveness are ideationally empty. And depending on which theory of democracy you describe to, they are not the only rules of the game. So a liberal democracy, for example, is not only about responsiveness to a majority. It's a government needs to act responsibly in the sense that it has to protect the values of liberal democracy, including pluralism, the rule of law, human rights. And it is also a government is also bound by agreements with other countries. So if you promise to build a wall and force another country to pay for it, you're responsive to those dubable fiscal conservatives who are anti-immigration. You can then make the populist claim, this is the will of the people. But it probably isn't because there is a pluralism of opinions, right? So to populists, and that's another key aspect, everyone opposing their policies is by definition an enemy of the people. It's that simple. If you're not with them, you're against them, and then you're also against the people. And political science usually is not in the business of judging policy, and that's one key reason why its definitions of populism do not fully capture, I think, what non-academics may actually be worried about when they talk about populism. So my impression, and that's really just my impression, is that many people fear populism because they fear a personalistic leader taking advantage of the ignorance of the people in the street, their gullibility and their emotions, and especially the darker ones. And they may fear scapegoating and anti-pluralist or illiberal policies. And these dangers are real, and they are an important reason why we need to understand this phenomenon. We need to understand why populists are successful. You mentioned Donald Trump as one example of populism in the United States, of course, but some might say that we've seen a kind of spread of populism around the globe. You mentioned Latin America before, but more recently in South America, now in Europe, South Asia. And in your article, you're talking about the Reiwa Shinsengumi, this political group in Japan, and saying that there are perhaps an example of a leftist populism in Japan. So can you talk about, you know, what do you mean by left populism and, and how is the Reiwa Shinsengumi an example of this? This leftist populism. So Reiwa Shinsengumi is a new political party in Japan. It was founded a year ago in April 2019. And the guy who, who created it is a former celebrity, Yamamoto Taro. But before he founded Reiwa Shinsengumi, he had a history of almost six years in the upper house as a member of parliament. So after the 2011 disaster in Japan of earthquake and tsunami and nuclear meltdown, he started to get politically active and he saw that there are a lot of people in Japan who are not doing well, who have a tough time making ends meet. And that was his motivation to first get active politically himself and then create this new party, Deva Shinsengumi, that was very successful at the last upper house election last year. They won two seats. And the two politicians that won seats in the upper house, they're both exceptional in the sense that they're both physically disabled. And they forced the people in the diet to create a barrier-free environment for the wheelchairs. This one guy, Funago, He's unable to move any part of his body. And Mrs. Kimura, she's sitting in a wheelchair. And uh, Yamamoto, the leader of Reiwa Shinsengumi, picked these two to be on the top of the party list in order to send this signal that these two are perfectly equipped to understand how 
people in Japan who are suffering from some kind of disability have to struggle. And that was a very innovative idea. In it, and I think that won him a lot of sympathy and a lot of votes. The category left populism seems counterintuitive at first sight for people who are not dealing a lot with, with populism, I think. But it is often applied to political actors who appeal to the weak members of society, right? Those weak in terms of, of low income and employment status, little or no social safety net. In the case of Japan, this target group would include the unemployed, the 40% of irregular employees, those who did not make it into any standard career path, the, the last generation of the 1990s would come to mind. Would also include senior citizens with little pension, blue-collar workers, single mothers. The list is long, I guess. In other words, there is a large overlap with target groups of other left parties like the communists and the social democrats, although those two parties are not very big. So in my article for the Asia-Pacific Journal, I applied the ideational understanding of populism to Deva Sinsengumi, and I wanted to understand if they are a populist party, because in the traditional mass media and newspaper articles, the label left populism was attached to them. And I thought, maybe they are, but maybe they aren't. So I looked at, at their policy platform. I looked at their party mission. I picked a representative campaign speech by its leader, Yamamoto Taro, and also a town hall meeting, which was almost three hours long. And I analyzed uh, these texts, and, and the result is Reva Sinsengumi is not a populist party. And here's the thing, like with almost all phenomena that have been labeled populist in Japan, there is some overlap with the dominant definitions. So Reva Sinsengumi is appealing to unorganized voters, criticizes the government, it has a popular leader, but there are also some important elements missing of this ideational concept. For example, Reva Sinsengumi does not use the enemy image of a corrupt elite or a corrupt establishment. And there is no radical antagonism between people and elite. And Deva Sinsengumi does not invoke the will of the people. And there is no anti-pluralist or illiberal element in their rhetoric. So if we think about is there populism in Japan, then the answer would be there isn't if you want all boxes of a definition to be checked. So there may be populism if you're satisfied with one or two dimensions of it, like personalistic leader or someone who criticizes the lead. But, but this partial overlap makes it hard to compare Japanese cases to full-grown populism elsewhere on this planet. How do you differentiate between a standard politician and a populist? Where is the line between criticizing the government and the ministries on the one hand and being a populist criticizing the corrupt elite. There is a lot of gray between these two extremes. So quite a few studies answered the question about populism in Japan by using the political culture of the country as a frame of reference. This is something that comes natural, I think. So if you call someone a performer in Japan and state that hers a theatrical style of politics, you make that judgment against the backdrop of what is standard in Japan. So if you look at Koizumi Junichiro, uh, used to be prime minister 2001 to 2006, I think it was. He was the first prime minister to use spin doctors at agencies, he knew how to talk to television viewers. He had his little sound bites ready. And because that was all different and, and new to Japanese politics, 
It was easy to call this theatrical politics. And Koizumi was called a performer, and eventually he was called a populist. But, but imagine Koizumi in the US or in Europe. I, I really doubt that journalists or academics in the US or in Europe would put Koizumi into the populist category. Now, then you can say, okay, let's open a new category and say, all right, Koizumi and Hashimoto Toru uh, of Osaka and Koike Yuriko, Tokyo, they are all Japanese-style populists. We have this new category of Japanese-style populists and all of them, Koizumi, Hashimoto, Koike, Tanaka, all of them, they all belong into a unique category of populism that does not exist anywhere else. And as a consequence, we would be where we find ourselves all too often, declaring Japan to be unique and not useful for comparative efforts. But I think it can be useful, and it's not so unique. For one, you could look for other countries that may be similar. I think if you, if you compared Japan to the other two East Asian democracies, South Korea and Taiwan, that I think would make a lot of sense and could allow you to come up with a lot of interesting, even theoretical findings. And here at my university, Duisburg-Essen, uh, we, we started such a comparative project looking into populism uh, in Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. Or alternatively, you could simply state that there is no populism in Japan and then ask, why not? That's a fascinating question, I think. After all, some of the causes for the surge of populism identified in other countries and other democracies can also be found in Japan. You got political corruption, you got political frustration among large parts of the population, there are growing social inequalities, you have negative effects of globalization, there have been economic and financial crises. So why isn't there any populism? as you can find it in other industrialized countries. I don't know. Maybe the answer is populism is a latecomer to Japan. Maybe it will grow when demographic change is getting tougher and, and its, its effects are growing. Should Japan indeed be immune to populism? If that's true, then one more reason to compare it to Europe and understand why. You were talking before about the difference between the populism and the kind of non-specialist definition, you know, the way it's used in the media, for example, as opposed to the political science definition. And I think perhaps one place we see that is there does seem to be these easy associations between movements in places like South America, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Donald Trump in the US, the alternative for Deutschland, AFD in Germany, the yellow shirts in France, Modi in India, you know, keeps going on and on, Erdogan. And maybe we shouldn't too haphazardly group those together but they do seem to have some common tenets like xenophobia, nativism. And some might say, well, the LDP in particular in Japan exhibits some of these same features. So you're talking about leftist populism. Could we think of maybe the LDP and, and Abe in particular as riding a bit of a conservative wave of populism in Japan? That's a question that some people actually raise. And there are some academics who, who find populist characteristics uh, within the LEP. But now that you asked this question, I was thinking of uh, the Conservative Party here in, in Germany because they, they've always taken the stance that we should avoid to be overtaken on the right. So the Conservatives always try to be as much to the right as was necessary not to allow a right-wing party to exist and to grow. 
this clearly is oversimplified, I know, but but for decades, the Christian Democratic Union and its Bavarian sister party, they, they were uh, mostly successful in their attempt to keep the right covered. But then with, with German unification and later Angela Merkel's strategy to modernize her party and to move it more into the political center, the conservatives suddenly did see a right-wing party approaching in its rearview mirror. The LDP clearly hasn't allowed that to happen. So there is some overlap between the LDP and populism. But again, I think it's not sufficient to call the LDP a populist party. I think populism isn't the best category to put the LDP into and to, to explain it. Prime Minister Abe, for example, clearly has, has repeatedly attacked liberal journalists or scholars, but he himself is very much a member of the political elite. And his father was, and his grandfather was. And the LDP has in power for most of the 65 years of its existence. So they are the elite. And for all this time, they've been molding corporate interests into policies, hoping the trickle-down effects will then do the rest uh, of the work. So the LDP is supporting or has been supporting the economic elite. So how does the LDP then fit the definition of populism? And one, one more point, the right wing of the LDP seems busy pursuing their, their dream of a truly Japanese constitution and getting rid of the US imposed version that's been in place since 1947. And there's this group, Nippon Kaigi is a very nationalist conservative assembly of politicians and influential people. Many LDP politicians are a member of Nippon Kaigi, uh, which means the Japan Conference. And judging from what this Japan Conference wants, they're not populists either. They want the Japanese to shed blood for the country. They want the subjects to have fewer rights and more duties. And again, populism is not the best category to put this group into. And if the left doesn't manage to mobilize the more than 40% of the Japanese who, who do not vote. I mean, turnout in Japan is lower than, than 55% and sometimes even below 50%. So if, if the left can't mobilize these 40 or 50% of the voters who are just frustrated and don't vote, then it's really tough to see a future for any kind of party, really, that, that would be populist. I'm Tristan Gruno, and this has been Japan on the Record, the podcast where scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Hosted and produced by Tristan Gruno of the Council on East Asian Studies at Yale University. Thank you for listening.